0: What is happening uh, around us? I told you a minute ago, the World Government Summit. What? The what? The World Government Summit happened um, yesterday in Dubai, uh, and it was the um, introduction uh, session yesterday. And I mean, all the people that you know are the usual people were there. Huge crowd. Gigantic theater with very, I mean, all of the critical, important people. And it was kicked off by, lo and behold, Klaus Schwab. Here's what he said. We do not yet know the full extent and the systemic
1: and structural changes which will happen. However, we do know that global energy systems, food systems, and
0: supply chains will be deeply affected. Got it? We are changing things. And we don't know how that'll go. But we do know the global energy system, the food system, and the supply chains will be deeply affected. Well, but other than that, don't worry about it. It's only food, energy, and how we get things. But other than that, we're good. This is is the arrogance of the elites. Now, one of the topics, uh, their first session was, are we ready for a new world order? Are they trolling us? I think the reason why they're naming this is because, A, they, they really mean it. It is a new world order. But they also see an advantage of calling it the new world order instead of the great reset, which it absolutely is. The new world order, they call it that because... That way, when I say it to you and you're like, did you hear about the global government where their first session was, are we ready for the new world order? Everybody rolls their eyes. Uh Aha! But uh, here it is. Day one, world government summit yesterday in Dubai. Here's the first session. Are we ready for a new world order? And the title of this session, are we ready for a new world? world order. Well, the organizers here are nothing if not ambitious. This is, I think you will agree, a daunting subject for discussion at just after 9am on a Wednesday morning here in the relative calm of Expo 2020. But tackle it, we must, because I believe what is clear is that we have hit an inflection point. We are certainly living in a unique age of uncertainty Mm. and volatility Mm -hmm. in global affairs. Huh? That is weird because it's almost exactly what Joe Biden said last week. Remember, we are at an inflection point that only happens once in a generation, maybe a little longer. So they're all talking the same game. And for anyone who says, ah, oh, digital money, digital money, <laughs> it's, it's like Bitcoin. No, it's not. Well, it'll never happen here. Okay. Here they are yesterday. Uh, Pippa, uh, Pippa Mulgram, she's an economist and former presidential advisor in the U.S., speaking yesterday at the World Government su- uh, Summit, talking about the new digital money.
2: What underpins a world order is always the financial system. Mm. Uh, I was very privileged. My father was an advisor to Nixon when they came off the gold standard in 71. And so I was brought up with a kind of inside view of how very important the financial structure is to absolutely everything else. And what we're seeing in the world today, I think, is we're on the brink of a dramatic change where Mm. we are about to, and I'll say this boldly, Yes. We're about to abandon the traditional system of money and accounting oh. and introduce a new one. That's and a, the new one, a dollar. the new accounting is what we call blockchain. Mm. It means digital. Close it it is. means having a almost perfect record of every single transaction that happens <sighs> in the economy, which will mm. give us far greater clarity over what's going on. It also raises huge dangers in terms of the balance of power between states and citizens. In oh. my opinion, we're going to need a digital constitution of human rights, if we're going to have digital money, Uh, but also this new money will be sovereign in nature. Most people think that digital money is crypto and private, but what I see are superpowers introducing digital currency. The Chinese were the first. The US is on the brink, I think, of moving in the same direction. The Europeans have committed to that as well. And the question is, will that new system of digital money and digital accounting accommodate the competing needs of the citizens of all these locations so that every human being has a chance Mm. to have a better life? Because that's the only measure of whether a world order really serves.
0: Yeah, Mm, I don't think so. Um, But just to build on that, again, for anyone who thinks that I am crazy you can now quote the New York Times. Not only is the the New World Order, the Global Government Summit yesterday talking about this, but here's the New York Times. Central banks around the world are experimenting with issuing digital replacements for cash in the form of central bank digital currencies. But those are, by and large, not anonymous. Let me say that again. But those are, by and large, not anonymous. In January, a white paper from the Federal Reserve made it clear any digital currency it issued would differ materially from cash, which enables anonymous transactions, end quote. What does that mean? Let me translate. If the Fed issues a digital currency, which the president is now asking the Fed in a executive order to explore... They've already explored it. They have a white paper that's 78 pages long. There on their own website. They put it there in January. They don't need to explore it. And they said that the Fed coin will differ materially from cash because no purchase will be anonymous. To some people, to some people, the loss of privacy is no big deal especially if the death of cash makes life harder on criminals who often do business using stacks of $100 bills to avoid detection by the authorities. Representative Stephen Lynch, a Democrat from Massachusetts, a former iron worker who represents a part of Boston and its southern suburbs, isn't soft on crime, but he doesn't like the idea of banks and governments being able to track every single transaction every person makes. Quote, we're trying to preserve some element of anonymity and not have full spectrum surveillance of every aspect of people's lives. End quote. This is from a Democrat. This is in the New York Times. Please don't say it's a conspiracy. And please don't say it could never happen here. Don't ever say those things again. You must understand we are living in a very different world. All of the old rules are gone. Everything that you thought you knew to be true, as I said, what you thought would, it was solid is liquid. Everything that you thought was liquid is now solid. The world is completely inside out and upside down. So what is his uh, plan? Well, Lynch introduced a bill directing the Department of Treasury rather than the Federal Reserve to develop an experiment with issuing digital dollar technologies. Oh, okay. So we don't want the Fed to have all that information, but the Treasury can have all of that information. Yeah, because the government wouldn't ever do anything with that information. That is not the solution. The solution, if you want a digital currency, then use blockchain. You want a digital currency, then you use Bitcoin and you leave the off-ramp people alone. This is the final grab of total power globally you need to understand it, you need to brush up on it, and you need to stand against it. You also need to prepare for a time when this does happen. What are you going to do? Most people will just go along with it because they'll say what people always say at times like these. Well, it's not going to get any worse than this. They'll never do that. I urge you to watch last night's show, my uh, TV Wednesday night special on Blaze TV. It was really, really funny. Classic chalkboard funny stuff. Um, however, I, I laid out on the chalkboard. In fact, I want to play that clip later on in the program. I laid out on the chalkboard all the things that we all said could never happen. It, I spent 15 minutes before the show just writing them down off the top of my head. There are so many more than this. But once you see the list, you'll be like, holy mother. Wake up and make the decisions. Are you fine with somebody watching over and having a digital currency, a a programmable digital currency that will control everything? By the way, uh, this article in the New York Times goes on to say, it's reestablishing the Treasury fiscal authority. As a starting point, at first, it's a very small scale, but it's a window in how you might design similar stuff in the future. It's very MMT.
3: Good evening, Patriots.
4: I need a shave, yes. Freedom fighters throughout Saskatchewan, across the country, and around the world. How are we all doing tonight? Uh, I I heard that uh, Glenn Beck piece yesterday, so I thought I would share it tonight before we got rolling. Uh, Titled this one, The Ukraine. The war in Ukraine is a war against the West. Sponsored by the World Economic Forum. We're going to talk about that when Salim gets here at uh, eight o'clock. A um, couple of things I wanted to talk about first is well, first let's play this guy. So this guy, I'm gonna I'm gonna play a little clip of. It's only two minutes. Uh, a guy by the name of Dennis Meadows, one of the original founders of the Club of Rome. Um, co-authors, one of the co-authors of the Limits to Growth book that they had written back in, I think it was 72. Um, I don't know, you guys maybe have seen it. Some of you may have maybe seen this video. I, I posted it uh, earlier, but I thought I would play it. Um, it basically just goes to prove what these elites think and how the enemy to the world is humanity.
3: It's pretty sick stuff.
1: We are so far, globally we are so far above the population and the consumption levels, which can be supported by this planet that I know in one way or another, it's gonna come back down. So I don't hope to avoid that, uh, I hope that it can occur in a a, a civil way. I, 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 I...
4: <laughs> oh, these guys, man. So you'll hear further down the line how he basically thinks the the world can sustain a, a billion people. Um. But he he wants to see that reduction done, <laughs> you know, peacefully as we rid the planet of six billion people, right? Um, how do you do that peacefully? Um, do you do that with a vaccine? Do you do that with a virus developed in a lab that then requires everyone on the planet to take a vaccine to survive it
1: <laughs> just i'll just I'll let him talk and i mean civil in a in a special way I, peaceful
4: yes in a special way we're going to eliminate 6 billion people
1: 7 billion people in a special special way right peace doesn't mean uh that everybody's happy But it means that conflict is... Of course you'll be happy. You'll own nothing, and you'll be happy about it. It's solved through violence, through through force, uh, but rather in other ways. And so uh, that's what I hope for. uh, That we can... I mean, the planet can support something like a billion people maybe 2 billion depending on how much liberty and how much material consumption you want to have if you want more liberty and more consumption you have to have fewer people and conversely you can have more people i mean we could even have 8 or 9 billion probably if we have a very strong dictatorship which is smart and unfortunately
4: right right so we need <laughs> we need a smart dictator controlling the globe right so from a globalist standpoint from a global governance standpoint we need a smart dictator is, is what we need because the people and their liberty um we just can't sustain that on this planet
1: <laughs> you never have smart dictatorships they're always stupid so but if you had a smart dictatorship And a low standard of living, you can have a, but but we want to have freedom and we want to have a high sentence, so we're going to have a billion people. And we're now at seven, so we have to get back down. I hope that this can be slow.
4: So, So we have to get back down. Just imagine, just imagine being in that guy's headspace. Just imagine. So we have to get back down to a billion people.
1: It's slow, and that it can be done in a way which is relatively equal, uh, you know, so that people share uh, the experience and they don't have a few.
4: Oh, oh, we're we're going to share the experience of eliminating six billion people from the planet. Yeah, we're going to share that experience. That'll be fun.
1: What an experience that'll be. Rich, you know, trying to force everybody else to, to deal with it. So those are my hopes. I mean, these are pretty pessimistic hopes, you know, but I um, mean, that's, that's what lies ahead.
4: Yeah, no, no. Um, another one of these douchebags, and this is fairly recent, um, who thinks that humanity, of course, is the enemy to the planet and that the planet is more important than humanity. Um, That's what we're dealing with. Um, So these people are real, right? They actually exist. Um, Again, this is a fairly recent interview um, from one of the original founders of the Club of Rome. The Club of Rome created the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and and basically tapped klaus as we've talked about in a previous show with salim um that's what the wef is for is to again it's another organization of elites that want to implement the goals of sustainable development that were created Again, by the initially by the Club of Rome, sponsored by Rockefeller and Rothschilds, all the top elite um, and what to do with all of these pesky humans, right? Because God forbid we keep having babies. God forbid we keep growing. Um, they believe that our ability to to feed and house the world's population, Um, they're they're basically creating the situation to give themselves power, right? Uh, Many studies, many research groups um, have said the world can most definitely sustain 11 billion people um, without a problem. Of course, that requires ingenuity, that requires um, innovators, that requires inventions, that requires a free market, that inspires creativity, that inspires people to work out the world's problems. Um, And it's only through that freedom that we'll be able to resolve these problems. But they don't think so. They, they really just have this idea that we need to eliminate six or seven billion people off the planet um, if we want to have liberty. There's no in-between with these people. It's either we stay with the amount of people we have, which requires a dictatorship to dictate how we live our lives, and all aspects of our lives controlled by this global governance or we reduce that population by six billion people that's it that's 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 your options folks um yes of course it does michelle krieger Shell says 11 billion people requires fossil fuels and will continue to require fossil fuels. This idea that uh, we're not going to be using fossil fuels, you know, after 2025 or 2030 or 2050 net zero uh, is complete hogwash. It's just that they want to control the resources. They want to be able to determine who gets what and how much. Um it's all about control. It's all about, uh, global governance and, and dictating to the planet, um, what's going to happen. And that starts with, um, well, they've already started the process of socially engineering and socially conditioning the people, the masses, the populations around the world, um, because of this horrible, uh, pandemic that, uh, you know, 99.6% of the population survives, um, without a vaccine, um, without even treatment because most governments don't allow any early treatment protocols, um, and they should, and that number would, would rise, but of course they don't because it's all about the vax, it's all about, um, getting you to sign on to a vax pass getting you used to being digitally controlled and that's all that this was it it was it was all to move in the direction of tyranny of a dictatorship and getting the masses comfortable with being told what they can and they can't do like for instance wearing a diaper on your face um lining up for food Um, lining up for the jab, lining up for a test. Um, all these things are by design. So I wanted to mention just before Salim gets in, I wanted to mention a little bit, uh, about this idea. Uh, the Saskatchewan government just announced that they're going to wait and I'll bring it up. Um... Let me just find it here on my Twitter. It's around here somewhere. Sorry, guys. I should have been a little bit more prepared, but it is what it is. You're used to me. There we go. All right so so uh, SAS government stops pursuit of potential digital ID uh, really all he's said and what he's agreed to is to is to just wait and see he's gonna let Alberta and Ontario uh, be the guinea pigs. And see how it goes. Now, I am very confident to say that the reason Scott Moe has decided to back off from this um, is because of the pushback that he's gotten from, I would say, a, a good majority of the people that live in Saskatchewan don't want digital ID. They understand exactly what it means. Um, but let's just go through that really quickly. So this is, this is the start. So as soon as you have a digital ID, it means that they're going to be able to track and trace all of your activity all the time. There will be a chip in your ID, um, maybe on your phone, um, an app, but most likely a card that has a chip, and they're going to be able to follow your activity um, They're going to combine this digital ID with digital currency, as we saw, uh, um, what's his name? Colonel Saunders (laughs) Glenn Beck talk about, right? So they're moving into this digital currency, digital ID, where they'll be able to track and surveil everything. Every activity that you are up to, they're going to know about if they want to know about it. Uh, It's just simply a matter of pulling up Mark Friesen, and it'll probably do it automatically. Um, As soon as you get close to some border checkpoint, you're going to pop up on their screen. As soon as you uh, move, if somebody is watching your activity, it's going to pop up on their screen. Okay, there, he's going over here, he's going over there. It's going to get so bad that You're going to have a certain amount of carbon. uh, Credits right where you can where you can emit a certain amount of carbon uh, week to week or month to month, maybe month to month, and then um, they're going to shut your car off because you've already reached your carbon emission for the month of April and so too bad, so sad. You're gonna have to walk or bike or uh, move yourself in some other way. Um, this is this is where it's going, and, and uh, this is why they need 5G. This is why they need 5G. This is why they need such enormous data collection uh, and, and surveillance. I mean, there's cameras. There will there will be cameras everywhere. That can surveil you and they'll track and trace you with digital id and with digital currency and social credit is then full-on social credit is then the final end game where everything you do will be part of the social credit system including your activity in social media and and uh full-on tyranny and full-on dictatorship like that Dennis Meadows from the Club of Rome um, just said to us. I'm actually going to play it again because I want Salim to watch this video in case he hasn't seen it yet. Salim is backstage so he can see what's going on. Salim, this is a fellow by the name of Dennis Meadows. And and I thought it would be a good way to start our conversation as a segue into, you know, how this Ukraine war is... uh, is basically a mechanism for the World Economic Forum to achieve their goals. So uh, I wanted you to see this, I'll bring in. Um, and we can both watch this guy.
1: We are so far, we? we are so far above. <laughs> the population and the consumption levels which can be supported by these plans. And I know in one way or another, it's going to come back down. So I don't hope to avoid that. Uh, I hope that it can occur in a, a, a civil way. I, I, and I mean civil in a, in a um, special way. I, peaceful. Peace <laughs> doesn't mean uh, that everybody's happy. But it means that conflict isn't solved through violence, through, through force, um, but rather in other ways. And so uh, that's what I hope for. Um, that we can, I mean, the planet can support something like a billion people, maybe two billion, depending on how much liberty and how much material consumption you want to, to, to have. Do you want more liberty and more consumption, you have fewer people. And conversely, you can have more people. I mean, we could even have eighty nine billion, probably, if we have a very strong dictatorship, which is smart. That's, unfortunately, you never have smart dictatorships. But if you had a smart dictatorship and a low standard of living, you but we want to have freedom and we want to be hydrated, so we're never going and we're now at seven so we have to get back down i hope that this can be slow relatively slow and that it can be done in a way which is relatively equal, uh here you know, uh the experience that you don't have a few rich you know trying to force everybody else to, to do. It pretty you know, Hopes, you know, but you know, that's that's what lies ahead.
4: Good evening, Salim. Good to see you, my friend.
5: Good evening, Mark. Uh, Who's this guy, Dennis Meadows?
4: Yeah, he was one of the original uh, Club of Rome members. He was a co-author to Limits to Growth. Um, yeah, uh,
3: okay.
4: Yeah, and he's still hanging around. Of course, this is a relatively uh, recent interview. Uh, but I just I wanted to give people a sense of of who these people
5: are and how they think. Um, the name the name rang a bell in me, but I couldn't place him in me- immediately. Yeah. But yeah, now that you mentioned he he uh, the, uh, he was a co-author or one of the contributors to the first edition of Limits to Growth. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, so I I I've been on uh, for about uh, I don't know, say half an hour or so. And I've just been talking about, you know, really the origins of Club of Rome and how they they created the World Economic Forum, and and how that, of course, their agenda has been evolving to basically where we are today, uh, you know, and how they're using fear and and uh, you know people's fear and their irrational thinking to uh, to manipulate, socially condition, socially engineer the masses. Uh, for what's to come, and uh, of course, as Meadows said, um, with a world population of seven, eight billion, uh, that requires a dictatorship to dictate to everybody um, how they live and and uh, and what they do, and that's essentially what's coming. So, but I, I thought it was a good segue into what we're going to discuss tonight and how, you know, they they use climate change to bring in some policies that help fund the agenda, um, to help change people's behavior a little bit. Uh, They use COVID, of course, to help change people's behavior, to get them used to tyranny, to get them used to following orders, um, socially conditioning and engineering the masses. And now, of course, we've gone in a matter of days, almost overnight, from a crisis of pandemic to. Ukraine war just literally overnight and now everybody of course is waving a Ukrainian flag and and behind the Ukraine because it's big bad Russia that is you know taking advantage of poor little Ukraine and uh, so i it we thought as we discussed earlier that it would be important again to to drive this home that that this war that we're watching this crisis that's been created um you know problem reaction solution um is, is is just that, so um, I'll let you take it from here.
5: <laughs> you're, you're right, I mean, the, all of this thing that has been happening and has been cooked up is not something that happened uh, just recently. It has a long process of development and growth, the ideas that have come into it. In fact, it goes all the way back Uh, We don't have the time to do that tonight, but I'll just drop the idea that it goes all the way back to World War I when uh, the progressives under Woodrow Wilson went to war, took America to war in the Second, in the First World War. And with that began the whole process of League of Nations, creating administrative state um, an agenda, progressive agenda which is we are now at the end of the thing, that is to obliterate all the traditional values, all the traditional guardrails upon which the United States was built and to some extent Canada, you know, and and that has been more or less obliterated. Uh, I I just want to add one more thing on this thing before we move on uh, to the Ukraine war. Listening to Dennis Meadow and... um, uh the, the the whole plan that was put together <clears throat> with limits to growth, then into World Economic Forum and so on, which we have discussed with Klaus Schwab. There has been one measure of tremendous success, and that is so ironical, but success mm-hmm. because it was built into this program that is eugenics. And, right. and that has been immensely successful, ironically, in North America. I mean, after the Second World War and the development of the pill uh, that came about in the 1950s and then the legalization of abortion, we have had a Holocaust multiple times in North America. You know, right. from, from uh, uh, late 50s to now, somewhere around about 60 to 70 million babies have been aborted, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there is a multiple holocaust that has happened in North America. Uh, the population in North America that should have been now much larger, uh, if those babies had survived and had their natural life, the North American population would have been much larger. and and um, Canadian population, that is the population of the founding people, the European uh, Mm. stock, would have been much larger. I mean, look what has happened to Quebec. Quebec has gone from families of six, seven babies. Mm. Uh, Jean Chrétien came from a family of, I believe, 19 siblings. Mm. Um, Shrank within two or three-generation that is from the beginning of the Quiet Revolution in Quebec after World War II to the 1970s shrank into a negative growth. Quebec has a negative fertility rate, you know, mm. and and so that became an argument to bring in more immigration to somehow balance off the falling falling population rate. So. They did not plan that. They wanted to decimate and destroy the population in Africa and Asia and other parts of the world, Latin America. But Mm. it began right here in their own backyard. And now they want to do that right around the world. So, you know, Mm. the unintended consequences of what they did in North America uh, is going to boomerang back on them and is already boomeranging back on them. So... um, what God, what man plan, God disposes, and and that's what we are seeing yeah, in effect. Right, hundred percent. But coming back to uh, uh, the war in Ukraine, uh, we have talked about that a couple of uh, evenings, a uh, couple of Fridays. Um, what I would like to underline uh, going forward is one that most people should now be awakened to the fact that they can see beyond the trees, the forest, the forest of the World Economic Forum and the globalist agenda. That this is not about, as COVID-19 was not about COVID-19, it was a pretext to pushing the agenda. Mm -hmm. The war in Ukraine is also a pretext to rapidly escalate the economic factors uh, to speed up the process of destroying the way we have lived our lives in terms of industrialization, in terms of the rise of the middle class, in terms of all of the the progress of civilization from, say, mid-19th century to where we are now based upon fossil fuel to destroy the very foundation of fossil fuel as a way of life and that is what is this war about the war in ukraine is about you know and we can see that all around you know the escalating inflation in terms of fossil fuel consumption they want to deliberately basically impoverish and destroy the middle-class civilization in North America and Europe. You know, what then happens to the rest of the world, they believe will fall into place once they have dealt with the advanced countries. And so... And and I think,
4: Salim, before you go any further with that, I think it's important that that people understand that, you know, back... In 2013, 2014, during the Maidan protests, and you know, we saw the flags of the EU, and <clears throat> we know that there was a, a contingent of Americans that were coercing and and trying to influence uh, governments in the Ukraine to to join NATO, to join the EU, to to become part of the West. Um, and, and of course, this was all manipulated by, by other people puppeting. And so we had the Maidan protest that was supported by outside agents from the Ukraine, uh, as well as inside agents, uh, the, the Nazi factions, the right sector, uh, different groups, ultra-nationalist groups, which I found I still find. Uh, incredibly ironic that these ultra-nationalists somehow are teaming up with the globalists uh, to protect their sovereignty, which obviously won't work. They're just being used. Um, but but so we know that they've been in the Ukraine. We know that they essentially um, appointed Zelensky as the president of the, of the Ukraine through their manipulations. and And here we are Again, probably the 15th time the agreements have been broken by NATO, not moving one inch uh, toward Russia eastward from Germany. And like I said, this is, I think, Ukraine is the 15th time if they finally do join NATO. So all of this has been set up for what we're witnessing. It's all been used and manipulated for what we are witnessing. And then you go to the, the World Economic Forum website and it's they're prepared. They've been prepared for this for years. And so how the Ukraine war is driving up food and energy prices for the world. This this is exactly what they want in order to establish um, their agenda to, to come up with, again, problem, reaction, solution, right? Let's create the problem. And wait for the reaction, and, and we'll have the solution ready at hand.
5: You you you're sharing something on the screen with uh, the yeah, people. it's
4: it's a it's a website from the World Economic Forum. Can you see that there, Slim?
5: Yes, I can see it. So, yeah. you yeah. you
4: want to read from there, or I just wanted to show folks. We don't have to go through these. It's just I'm just showing you how the World Economic Forum was prepared for all of the consequences to this war, uh, like they planned it, right?
5: Well, I mean, um, <clears throat> we we have engaged in these discussions. We have gone back to talking about U.N. agenda 2030, sustainable uh, uh, growth, uh, sustainable development, the Millennium Goal, uh, and all the other packages of the U.N. agenda backed up by the Davos crowd, the World Economic Forum, going all the way back to 1992 Earth Summit. So this is a, a progressive unfolding of that globalist agenda. And um, the events of the last uh, four years going back to three years, 2019, 2020, with the COVID uh, and now into the Ukraine war is, in a sense, the final consummation of their program that was being unfolded. And we have arrived at the point where we, the people, uh, not the politician, we who uh, will make our own decisions going forward into the next election, we had the opportunity to do something in the last two election in Canada, that is 2019 and 2021. And uh, uh, the Canadian people, in some ways, uh, fail to understand and to take the responsibility and stand up for Canada. But in in the United States, which is the main, in a sense, battleground, now it is very clear. That's why I say that we should be able to see the forest for the tree. The main battleground uh, in terms of the ideological fight is no more. Mm. What we were talking, in my view, what we were talking in 2019, before the COVID, uh, that is in the context of Chinese communists, we didn't talk about the Russians, we didn't talk about Putin, we didn't talk about where Russia stands in all of these situations. We only began talking about this in terms of what happened, uh, began to happen last month in February 24th. But Going back to 2019, we were looking and discussing the globalist agenda in terms of what has happened between 1992 and the election of President Trump. And then President Trump's effort to rein in the Chinese, uh, to renegotiate uh, the various free trade deals, it began with NAFTA, you know, and it went into the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement. NAFTA was torn and put aside. Then President Trump uh, basically uh, set aside the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which was the other leg of the uh, globalist agenda. And I will take a minute to come back and explain what it is about yeah. um, but he he rejected that he tore up the deal with um which of course has no direct impact for Canada, but it had a global impact. He tore up the deal that was the Iran deal that was negotiated by Obama and the European Union uh to to basically give a pass to Iran to go forward with its nuclear uh, program. And what at that time was not clear is more or less now clear is that that deal was going to bring Iran back into uh, the arrangement with Mm -hmm. the United States and make Iran also a participant in the globalist agenda. So that was a way to pull Iran into it, just as with China, with the WTO in 1994, that was signed by Bill Clinton, the offshoring of the supply chain to China began with a huge momentum. And in that 25 years, China became the number one hub for the supply chain. For mm-hmm. North America and Europe, right? Yeah. So that that was that was the deal that was done. In the case of the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, that was the whole Pacific Rim uh, that was going to be signed in. It was again part of the globalist agenda. And what is the globalist agenda? As I said, I'll just take thirty seconds to remind everybody: mm-hmm. the globalist agenda is the new neoliberal rule-based order. And what does that mean, neoliberal rule-based order? That is, the Davos crowd, the World Economic Forum, would make the rules. They would prepare the rules and they would put it down as it did with the Climate Change Agenda, IPCC, you know, the Kyoto Accord, and later on the Paris Accord. They would write up the rule the net zero emission, the carbon tax, and so on, uh, and the redistribution of points uh, to um, uh, countries in the third world, in the south. So they would write the rules. The governments of the countries around the world would sign on to that rule through the UN. And then uh, they would... Tell it's to the United States and the UN, they would tell each of the country to do what they have set the rule and if they don't do it, there will be penalty for it. So we write the rule, you obey the order.
4: Absolutely. In fact, when I, I started tonight's show, Salim, I showed a, a clip from Glenn Beck, uh, who yesterday did a, a quick, it was 11 minute clip on the world government 2022 summit right? Um, that they just had. So yeah, I mean they're gearing
5: up for this global governance. And, so and here we are. Yeah. So so that was that 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 is the overall structure in which mm. the individual states would nominally be sovereign. We would have our own flags and we would sing our own national anthem. Oh Canada, true, not strong and free, etc. etc. Mm. Et the Americans would have their star spangled banner and so on. But those were like wearing so many different brands of jeans or or shoes or whatever, you know, hats. But underneath, there is no sovereignty. It is basically the rule based order run by the UN. and Which is which is where we've been in
4: Canada since Trudeau was elected.
5: Since well, where we have been where we have been in Canada since Mulroney was the prime minister and then defeated. Nothing changed because we have just gone from prime minister to prime minister and, and, and parties to parties. So Mm. we, we, we are in the sense the laboratory mice or the laboratory rat. Uh, Canada has willfully joined that. The question is, can we get out of it? You know, or is it too late already to get out of it? Mm. But this is where we come to in the question of, um, the clarity. And, and and going forward, whether the Canadian people will have the clarity to stand up and say, "We no more, we are going to get rid of all of these people, or at least part of these people, and we'll start to put a stop to it. And that clarity comes about as we now look at the situation with COVID uh, pretext mm. and into the Ukraine war. Yep. And... Why did that Ukraine war happen right now in 2022? Uh, It could have happened, I mean, you have have just mentioned the Maidan uh, um, uh, coup d'etat that took place in which a duly elected president, which by all accounts, Ukraine is one of the most corrupt countries in the world, Hmm. And Ukraine is the most corrupt country in, in Europe. Right. So there you are. Europe is one of the advanced continents in the world. Um, Europe is in that sense an economic powerhouse in the world. Uh, and yet Ukraine is the most corrupt country in the world, uh, in Europe. And yet the 2014 election... Monitored by the UN and the European Union was declared legitimate and fair.
6: Yeah.
5: And uh, Viktor Yanukovych was elected. and then they had the month after he was elected, you had the color revolution uh, of 2014 in which Viktor Yanukovych was driven out and Poroshenko uh, was installed right so that was eight years ago 2014 but between 2014 and 2022 the game was being played but a war a shooting war did not break out so the question is why didn't it happen in these eight years you know there was an attempt ukraine has gone through two color revolution In 2004, 2005, there was the first color revolution. That happened after the 2003 color revolution that was called the Rose Revolution in Georgia. And and that revolution, uh, that color revolution, was stopped by uh, Putin in 2003, 2004, and reversed it. The man who led that color revolution, Mikhail Shakashvili, who was an agent of the CIA, he was in America. He was sent. He was a Georgian who had done his studies in America and who was sent uh, to to Georgia to lead this revolution. Uh, He was defeated. Uh, Putin sent in his army to Ossetia in Georgia and then cleaned out the mess uh, and drove out Mikhail Shakashvili. So that was 2000. 2004 and mm-hmm. then immediately after that uh, the uh, Americans that is George Bush administration did a color revolution in Ukraine 2004 2005 um, and the second one was in 2014 and so my question
6: mm-hmm.
5: why why did the shooting war break out last month that is February 24th uh, almost six weeks ago, uh, five and a half weeks ago, uh, in 2022. Well, the quick short answer is um, that uh, President Trump, while he was the president uh, from 2017 to 2021, January, uh, there was no, no uh, uh, attempt on the part of Putin to do what Putin did uh, five weeks ago. And so that goes on to indicate that President Trump had put the brakes on the World Economic Forum agenda, the globalist agenda. He had, right. as I explained, he had put the brakes with TPP. He was putting the brakes with mm. the Iran deal. He did it with other free trade organizations, and he was pulling back. And here I want to drive home because we we have talked a lot about context. So I want to drive home, take a few minutes Hmm. and pull back and pose this question. Hmm. Why President Trump? And what did he represent? Uh, Because he was driven out in 2020 election a color revolution was done in america you know right. uh, so it was not simply a color revolution outside america color revolution was done in america
6: mm-hmm.
5: and a color revolution was done in canada the yeah. the whole emergency with the truckers was a color revolution patriotic canadian hard working canadian uh, uh canadians with uh, who went with their wives, with their girlfriends, with their children, children Uh, after two years of being beaten down by the lockdown, the shutdowns and and everything else, the vaccination, Mm. et cetera, et cetera. And businesses destroyed. They went to Ottawa to make their protest. And what did the color revolution do? They turned them into a fringe minority, a, a, a Nazi swastika flag waving crowd, and 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 brought down down the uh, Gestapo like police force to uh, drive out uh, these people who were exercising basically the fundamental rights of the Canadian Constitution that gives it to them, the right to protest, the right to express themselves, the We're right together, to stand for their values,
4: the right to associate. And, mm.
5: Yes. And so they they, we had the color revolution here and, and in America in, 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 in the election and the aftermath of the election that has happened. Mm. So. The, the question is that the, pres- the, the answer is that the president had put the brakes on. And so once the, the globalists succeeded, and who are the globalists? Well, in America, the globalists are the Democratic Party. Mm. The Democratic Party is the party of the World Economic Forum and the Davos. Well, the party of I'm the oligarchs.
4: The, the Republican
5: Party too. <laughs> no, no, you can argue, but the Republican parties are what like, the Canadian Conservatives are. The Republican Party is—they are the Decepticons. They say we are not. We are. We are for America. We are patriots, but they go along with everything that the Democratic Party does. They do not promote the Democratic Party agenda, which is the World Economic Forum. You don't hear. I mean, George Bush 43 did not sign the Kyoto Accord.
4: Right.
5: Just, Just to give one example, there are many other examples, you know, but they didn't sign it. The Republicans say, you know, we cannot sign it. But behind the Republicans saying they cannot sign it is the fact of the matter is that the senate whoever controls the senate they do not have enough vote to get the two-third majority to sign the climate change accord they haven't signed Kyoto they haven't signed Terrace accord and, and why is that because the american people it is not a 50 50 population it is more like 65 70 to 30 population but because the media is a globalist media it carries on 24 by 7 365 Mm. days the globalist agenda they don't allow an opposition voice to be heard but but the politician know that that they cannot go back to the district and make them agree so they try to push the agenda not through in this case, it would be a treaty. They, they cannot push it through treaty. They do it through budgets. They are driving, you know, build back better, the new green deal. They do mm-hmm. it through budgets, and they do it through uh, executive orders because of the budget is driven by the Congress, and, mm-hmm. and the Democrats have a control upon it, and then executive agendas uh, orders are Presidential and Obama and Bill Clinton and 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 um, George Bush forty three. They all used the executive order to push their agenda. On, yeah. on the distinction is on the Republican side. Until now, the Republicans have been mostly what is called the neocons. They're going to promote democracy abroad, which is color revolution, and wars. Mm. That keeps the military-industrial complex going. On the Democrat side, it is the culture war. LGBTQ, uh, transgenderism, the whole lot, you know? Mm. So that is the internal dismantling of the constitutional order, political correctness, multiculturalism, you know? that is tearing down the First Amendment, tearing down the Second Amendment, and so on and so forth. So they are playing in tandem. And this is why I wanted to come back and say, I want to put this in context, uh, in that larger historical and philosophical context, that President Trump happened to be an America first president. But he's not the first America first president, hmm. the first America first president was who? George Washington. Right. And and there have been America first presidents since George Washington that has put the American people and the American institution as the touchstone of what is right. And what needs to be done and what needs to be protected. So I want to read to you and to to the people who are tuned in Mm. the words of George Washington. It is extremely important to understand what America first means, especially in the world that we are today, the globalized world of instant communication,
6: Mm.
5: instant travel, that means the world is a global village, as our Canadian uh, thinker uh, Marshall McLuhan said, that we are living in a global village. You know, so in a global village, what was the meaning of America first? This has to be understood because that's what was the whole issue about President Trump, yeah. uh, and this is what George Washington said. George Washington's famous farewell address, everybody can find it. You can simply Google George Washington's farewell address, 1796. When George Washington stepped down, he gave his last speech to the American people, that is to the Congress. And it's a remarkable, most important founding document of the American First idea uh that was expressed by george washington and i'll just read to you just two or three short paragraphs uh where in which president george washington the founding president of america lays down what should be america's position in the world here it is and in when he's talking about in the world george washington remember What to him, most immediately, the world is Europe. 1796 is 20 years after the American Revolution. Who, Who was the revolution against? Great Britain. That is the British Empire. And America had won the independence from the British, you know, after a revolutionary war. So this is what he says in, and I'll just read to you a couple of paragraphs. He says, the great rule of conduct for us in regard to foreign nations is in extending our commercial relations to have with them as little political connection as possible. Let me reread this is in extending our commercial relation to have with them as little political connection as possible. So far, as we have already formed engagements, let them be fulfilled with perfect good faith. Here, let us stop. So he said, whatever we have established in terms of diplomatic relationships and other of good faith and travel and so on, that's enough. But we should have the least relationship. And that's the best. Then he goes on to say, and this is 1796, and just imagine how important it is that it was that Woodrow Wilson broke away from President George Washington when he took Mm. America to war in Europe. And today, 2022, what we are faced with. Mm. Americans are faced with, and, and because of Americans, all of us are faced with. Europe, this is is George Washington saying, Europe has a set of primary interests, which to us have none or a very remote relation. We have no connection with them and their interests. It doesn't matter anything to us, he's saying. Hence, she must be engaged in frequent controversies, the causes of which are essentially Foreign to our concerns. Beautiful, you got it right there. Beautiful. Hence, therefore, it must be unwise in us to implicate ourselves by artificial ties in the ordinary vicissitudes of her politics or the ordinary combination and collisions of her friendships or enmities. Then it goes on to say, I'll skip the next paragraph, it goes on to say, why forego the advantages of a peculiar situation? Why quit our own to stand upon foreign ground? Why by interweaving our destiny with that of any part of Europe? entangle our peace and prosperity in the toils of European ambition, rivalship, interest, humor, or caprice. It is our policy to steer clear of permanent alliances with any portion of the foreign world. So far, I mean, as we are now at liberty to do it, for let me not be for let me not be understood as capable of patronizing infidelity to existing arrangements. I hold the maxim, no less applicable to public than to private affairs, that honesty is always the best policy. I repeat it therefore. Let those engagements be observed in the genuine sense. But in my opinion, it is unnecessary and would be unwise to extend them. What more could be more clear than what pres- President Washington said to the people? Do not get involved in the affairs of Europeans. Their interest is not our interest. Their rivalry has no benefit to us. You know, and he carries on. We have been given two oceans. And this is our country. This is a republic. It is our responsibility to take care of our people. Mm. I want to then just read one paragraph from the sixth president of America, John Mm. Quincy Adam, who was the son of John Adam, the second president of America. Mm. And John Quincy worked with President George Washington. He was a diplomat that George Washington sent to Europe as he sent Thomas Jefferson, as he sent John Adam. And this is what John Quincy Adam said. In addition to what I just read and what you showed that President Washington said, he says, wherever the standard of freedom and independence has been or shall be unfurled, there will be America's heart, her benedictions, and her prayers. But she goes not abroad in search of monsters to destroy. She is the well-wisher to the freedom and independence of all. She is the champion and vindicator only of her own. So there you have it. Mm. She doesn't go looking for monsters to slay. She's only responsible to herself to preserve her freedom mm. and you know to judge herself of how well she is doing in preserving her freedom so what has happened president trump was the 45th president the last president who was america first was ronald reagan the 40th president. And it is under Ronald Reagan's watch, the Cold War came to an end. With the end of the Cold War, the whole issue of NATO had become redundant because NATO was constructed in 1949
6: Mm.
5: because of the Cold War. Right, because of the consequences of the Second World War,
6: right,
5: and
4: possible Russian aggression. Yeah.
5: yeah, it was to contain that the Iron Curtain, Churchill's mm. famous speech, and so on and so forth. Right. Now we can, and I will not go into this, but I we can leave or ask the question. Maybe we can come back some other time and talk about it. Did America's going into the Second World War was something that was necessary? Or was it again, America dragged into a war against the advice of President George Washington? That is, it was a European conflict. And America went in same thing happened in World War One. It was a European conflict. And America went into that conflict and going into that conflict first in World War One and then after World War One, it came back because the senators, the Republican senators in, in that time, the Republican senators were Republican. They, they were not rhinos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were not Decepticon. They were right. Republican senators. And the Republican senators did not give Woodrow Wilson what Woodrow Wilson wanted. That is, Woodrow Wilson has devised this League of Nations. He would go in there. That is, America would go in there. And America would become the policeman for the rest of the world, beginning with Europe. And the Republican senator said no. And, And America stayed out of the League of Nations. And for the next 20 years, 1919 to 1939, when the Second World War broke out, it is called by the subsequent historians, American isolationism Mm. but we can now we are in the 21st century we're looking back 100 years we can now make the case what some of the people were making the case at that time that it is not America's business they were following George Washington the first president the first America first president you know and the man who became most Known, well known at that period of time as America First was Charles Lindbergh, the great American hero who hmm. flew across the Atlantic solo flight in 1935 or 36 in his Spirit of St. Louis. He became the mouthpiece, and in fact, his movement was called America First. So when Trump picks up the name America First or Ronald Reagan picks up the name America First, they were picking up basically Charles Lindbergh's movement in the 1920s and 30s of putting America first and not getting involved in European conflicts, you know? So anyhow, they got involved in that conflict. They went and fought and so on and so forth. But the greatest American general of that war, General Eisenhower, five-star generals, Supreme Commander of Allied Forces in Europe, who became the president, he warned the American people that what has happened is America is going down the the road, which is the military industrial complex, which is going to be destructive of America, you know. So there you have that whole philosophical issue that is standing Mm -hmm. up, you know, Mm -hmm. and NATO The usefulness of NATO strategically, tactically, politically, militarily was basically done when Soviet Union collapsed. There was no more. You know, Germany had joined and the question was to reach out to Russia. Russia was trying to reach out to the West, you know, and Hmm. there would have been a different history over the last 30 years, but the globalists took over. That is, America was no longer a republic. In -hmm. fact, America slowly started to become what it has become, an empire, a unipolar Mm -hmm. moment, and became an empire. And that means the American republic that was founded by George Washington is now an occupied territory. The president of America, Biden, is an occupier who was installed by a color revolution mm. that is a revolution election that was stolen and so he is an illegitimate president and everybody in America who has participated in that illegitimate act mm. is part of an occupying force in America right i think if once people understand this americans understand this that segment of americans Mm. in the red state who are still loyal to president Trump mm. and president Trump, as you can see, he's now in his mid seventies. Mm. Um, how, how old is he? 76, I think mm. uh, he, he is still strong and going out and people are responding to him. Mm. Um, he's out almost every 10 days speaking, you know? Uh, so, so, America is an occupied country and Mm. occupied by the globalists. Obama, Clinton, Clinton Foundation, the deep state, uh, the oligarchs, and Biden. And so what happened in Ukraine, by the way, before we go to Ukraine, the color revolution that happened in America uh, and the stealing of the election was done through COVID-19, right? So it is the Democrats who created. It was Fauci who parcelled the money to Wuhan Institute of Virology. That is American money went to the Chinese to develop the uh, uh, bad coronavirus into gain-of-function research into a lethal weapon, and then yes. fired. To bring down the American president and America first president. And Mm -hmm. they were successful in bringing him down, you know. And in bringing him down, they installed a globalist president who is totally compromised with China and with Ukraine and with Russia. All Mm -hmm. of them have compromised him, you know. Uh, That means compromise for the globalist agenda. Mm. And that needs a little explaining, but I'll come back to that in a moment. The time horizon, I believe, was very limited. If you're looking at the globalist calendar, 2030 is only eight years away, you know, uh, uh, and and they want a net zero emission by 2050, Mm. you know, Mm. and so on. So from their horizon, They are pushing desperately forward. They want to get this done. Klaus Schwab is now in his mid-80s. He wants his legacy. And the George Soros, he is also in his early 90s. They want their legacy. They want to, they have devoted their entire life to bring this about. And they want to clamp down and they want to get it done. So Mm -hmm. they're racing against their own biological clock and their own timeline. So having gotten the first America president elected out and put this man in, Mm. they had to then move rapidly on the second agenda. And the second agenda going all the way back to 2004, 2005, the first Maidan revolution is to decapitate Russia. Why? Because Russia is standing in the way of the globalist agenda in Europe. Mm. Russia is the third largest fossil fuel producer in the world. Right. Apart from all the other mineral resources. But when it comes to fossil fuel and natural gas, Russia Mm. is the third largest. After the OPEC, America, Russia. Canada is somewhere in between. Well, The globalists have successfully strangled the American energy production and American energy independence. The globalists have successfully strangled the Canadian energy production and energy, uh, you know, uh, use. So Russia is standing in its way. They have to decapitate Russia, you know, Mm. and that was an agenda right through now that you can see now that the smoke is clearing up you can see the forest for the tree so they had a very small window and that window was biden being in office and what does biden say biden says you know uh, to uh, zelensky you you can apply to nato and mm. and, and and you will be in you know and and he says that after the afghanistan debacle that right. they created they created the uh, afghanistan debacle and basically look at it what has happened forget about the giving up of 2 trillion dollar expenditure uh, and 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 lives and casualties over 20 years of warfare and then leaving behind something like 90 billion dollars of military equipment for the right. Taliban. That mm-hmm. is, after 20 years of fighting with the Taliban, they brought the Taliban back into power in Kabul and they gave them these uh, military equipment, which, by the way, Taliban will have been parceling it among the Pakistanis and the Chinese. Mm -hmm. But the critical thing is that they gave Afghanistan, that is Biden gave Afghanistan to the Chinese. The Chinese have now entered into Afghanistan for its mineral supply and mineral resources and Mm -hmm. the connection of belt and road initiative that the Chinese have to right into the Persian Gulf. Okay, so that's what they are given. Uh, if President Trump had been there, the president, this would not have happened. He was okay. withdrawing the forces from Afghanistan, but he would have controlled, left behind, something like 2,000 American troops on the ground in Dagram Air Base outside of Kabul, which is the air base that the Americans built, which is... Basically, one hour flight from China to monitor China.
6: Right. So mm-hmm. it
5: was a listening post into China and, you know, with air flight to monitor activity in China. Well, right. you can see now with the smoke cleared up that that was Biden's gift to China. But on the Ukraine issue, after the Afghanistan thing, Biden immediately raised the signal to Zelensky that, you know, you right. can apply and we will then see what happens. And they knew exactly
4: um, what was coming after that.
5: Absolutely. And then they started talking about that the Russians are mobilizing forces and so Ooh. on. And and the game began. Ukraine became the bait. Right. Zelensky started asking for membership. Yeah. And uh, Putin concluded from his statement, we can infer that, concluded that this festering wound that that Zelensky and the Ukrainians have created through two Maidan revolution, a uh, coup d'etats, that they are bent upon taking Ukraine into the NATO. And that means an existential threat to the Russian. And so to eliminate that possibility, he launched the special military operation. And now we can see the special military operation was very precisely directed. It was not a shock and awe operation like the Americans did in Iraq or in Libya. That is indiscriminate bombing from the air and ground to destroy the basic infrastructure of the country uh, which is what happened in iraq which is what happened in libya which is what happened in afghanistan the the russian operation has been a very precisely directed operation which is basically to uh, take out the ukrainian forces by encircling them what the Mm -hmm. russians call quadrants by, by encircling those uh, uh, forces and by securing the eastern part of Ukraine. They are not at all interested. Now it is very clear, S- six weeks into the operation, it's very clear. They haven't gone into Kiev. They haven't gone into Lviv. They've only been concentrating on the eastern part, the and Donbass east. region, east the, of the, the, the River Beeper. Pardon? And the biolabs. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and that's what all there is to it. And they, they will settle on that score whenever Zelensky is ready to sign the deal, which is a neutral Ukraine, right. a denazified Ukraine, and a guarantee that Ukraine is not going to see membership in NATO and Ukraine will not be a threat to Russia. That's that's the deal, and that will be signed at some future point in time. However, now that we can flip it around, we can see that the shooting war was necessary for the globalists, that is America, uh, under the Democrats, to have the pretext to go into this massive sanction. And by going into this massive sanction against uh, Russia, particularly the fossil fuel industry, seizing the Russian accounts, uh, uh, both private and government, um, they have escalated the inflation on energy right across the world, which is what their agenda was, you know. Uh, to push the green agenda. And that's exactly what we are seeing. Further impoverishment of the people in North America, that is the middle class, Uh, and the speed with which um, Biden and Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, they're going forward with both the cultural revolution inside America, you know, um and on outside america the democrat party has now become the war party and you can see that the rhinos are fully on board with this uh war in ukraine all all the rhino voices that you can see lindsey graham ted cruz even rand paul hasn't come out openly and spoken against it but um, members in the uh, Congress, people like Dan Crenshaw, the guy with the one eye, you know, uh, uh, patch that he has. Uh, these Republicans are all, all lined up behind the Ukraine war, that Putin is a bad guy, he's an evil, and, and there has to be regime change. And that question of regime change was basically announced by Biden last week when he went to NATO conference and then after that he went to Poland, you know. In Poland he made two announcements. He met with uh, American troops in Poland and he told them that he's sending the 82nd Airborne Division into Ukraine and you're going to meet with them. His handlers had to backtrack it, but he he spelt it out, you know. And then the handlers backtracked it. And then he said, uh, oh, God, this man Putin has to go. He cannot be in power. That was another clear indication. I mean, whatever the handlers want to do in trying to backtrack it, the message was out that this is all about regime change, that they're right. going to try to squeeze right. as hard as they can through sanction. And if there is an open shootout war between NATO and, and, and Russia, that is welcome that will give them the opportunity to then go militarily. I mean, this is, this is the complete madness of the, of the neocons, that they can go militarily into uh, engaging the Russian in Ukraine, uh, as if they would be able to confine the conflict in, in Ukraine and not go up the escalator. So it is the pretext, it is, the window is small, it is about pushing as hard as they can uh, on their globalist agenda, basically by destroying the fundamental basis of our current civilization, which is fuel-based economy. Yep,
4: absolutely, 100%. Um, I'm extremely happy and satisfied that we did this again tonight, Salim. I think it's incredibly important. And you've sort of brought it all together. I think this whole thing is... Um, it's been is understandable. I, I hope that you know people that watch this, and I'm hoping it's you know considerable amount of folks. I hope they're intelligent and sophisticated enough to understand what we've been talking about. Because um, my my fear is that the populace has been dumbed down by the media so much that a lot of people wouldn't accept um, the reality that we've talked about tonight. But uh, we have to try. And and you know we can that's all we can do.
5: Yeah, unfortunately in Canada we don't have any Canada first. We the PPC are the only Canada first, but we are you know in the sideline. Uh, but in America, the America first party is gathering strength, and our hope is that this November the midterm election, President Trump's uh will be able to bring about a swing even though some rhinos will get elected mm. but irrespective the the uh, house of Representatives will be taken over by uh republican and the new republicans who will be elected will be overwhelmingly america first trump allies and it is also quite possible that um there might be uh a surprise in the senate that the senate can also be or might be taken over and if that happens then the america first people are back in uh washington that is going to be able to um put the handcuffs metaphorically speaking on um biden biden will be for the next two years then a lame duck president and it is more and more possible and likely that President Trump uh, is going to run in 2024. And mm. if he runs in 2024, he should win. And we will have an America first president back in Washington. Uh, and that that's the race that is going on in terms mm. of Ukraine, because the Democrats know that they're facing an almost impossible task politically in retaining their majority in the House of Representatives. In the Senate, it is 50-50. To pass any legislation, they need the Vice President to break the tie vote, that is Kamala Harris, to break the tie vote. So it's 50-50. It is quite possible that um, two or three uh, swing Republicans Uh, might get in, you know, one in Georgia, we are seeing that happening. Mm -hmm. If that happens, we can breathe a little bit of sigh of relief because the pressure will be off. However, we have signed on to the globalist agenda and there is no one out there who is going to step forward and say we are going to unsign ourselves. And that's the challenge we are faced with in Canada.
4: 100%, Salim, 100%. Um, You know, we've had that discussion. And just to end... Um, on this point, is we I've had that discussion numerous times. I, I did it again in regards to Pierre Poliver on how Pierre likes to denounce the World Economic Forum. He likes to denounce the Great Reset. But I I always point out to people that nobody asks him the right question. And the right question to ask, of course, is That's great that you denounce the World Economic Forum, but you've never denounced the UN agenda, the Sustainable Development Goals that your party has brought to our country in 92, 2008, and 2015. And he's never talked about it, never touched it. And he can't because the party he's running to lead is the party that brought it to us. So, um, you know, you're right. So we don't have an existing party uh, in parliament that opposes this. Uh, it doesn't exist. Um, hopefully, you know, by the next time the next election comes around, um, the PPC can get some people in parliament that uh, can actually oppose all of this. And, and 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 while we're opposing, also that means educating the masses because then the conversation gets into the mainstream. And, uh, you know, at that point we have a shot.
5: Absolutely. That's the hope. That's the hope. Yeah. But that's why we are ke- keeping this going, you know, and, yes. and trying to connect all the dots that we can so that the people can see the forest for the trees and then decide... Mm-hmm that, you know, we can make a difference, even if it be getting a few Canada-first people into the parliament.
4: Absolutely, 100%. All right, my friend. Okay. Thank Thank you very much much for another uh, fantastic night. Uh, Much appreciated. Thank you, All right. We'll
5: talk, Salim. Good night.
4: Bye now. All right. Another good round with Salim. Uh, It's uh, Therese. Karpuk says, "Not it's not too late. No, it's not too late. It's never too late. Um, I could be sitting in a gulag somewhere, and it wouldn't be too late. I would still be um, fighting and opposing and scheming with uh, with uh, my brothers and sisters. So it's never too late, ever." Yeah. Thanks, Marilyn. Thanks for uh, coming out. Yeah, he never, and he never will respond. Uh, You kind of have to catch him on a live stream and, and, and hopefully, you know, somewhere where you can be and where you can possibly ask him a question. Kind of like uh, Transplender, Alex did. Uh, he caught Pierre just in Ottawa, out in the street, and got to ask him a couple of questions. So that was good. That's about the only situation where you can actually get those questions asked and uh, and watch the non-response. Um, but, anyways, uh, he was in Winnipeg, I guess uh, today. Um, uh, Wham, Winnipeg Alternative Media, uh, Todd there. Uh, he was going to be there and try to ask him a few questions. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, other than that, uh, that's about it. Um, I think uh, that's a wrap. Stay tuned for the next uh, couple of days this coming week. Um, I'm looking to have Phil Zajak, who has been elected as the first elected leader of the Buffalo Party uh he's a guy who ran for the ppc uh back in 2019 down in estevan uh diane probably knows phil um so he's now the new leader of the buffalo party provincial party in saskatchewan so i'm going to be bringing phil on um probably monday or or maybe wednesday we'll see how it goes and also um i'm in discussions with archer palowski who is now out of jail thank goodness um i'm looking to bring him on on tuesday if we can swing it uh he'll be pretty busy but uh hopefully he can squeeze us in so uh those are a couple that looking forward to early on in the week and uh who knows i might even go live tomorrow i think i have an interview with somebody tomorrow night on their stream uh lee out of ontario i can't remember his last name I'm going on his show at 6.30. So maybe after that one, I'll go live tomorrow night. We'll see how it goes. But anyways, remember, globalism, bad. Nationalism, good. All right, guys. Ciao for now. And Banjo says goodbye, too, if you can hear him barking in the background.
3: All right. Ciao.